0: Creative Connectors, a podcast for curious minds. My name's Vicky Keeler, and I'll be chatting to the makers and creators who aim to connect and inspire through the platform of festivals. We'll be delving into how they show up in the world, why they do what they do, their journey, inspiration, and everything in between. So sit back and enjoy the chat, because who knows where these conversations are going to go. And if this is your kind of podcast, please subscribe, follow, share with friends and get involved and give some feedback. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to Karen Bryant. She is the chief executive and creative director of Midsummer Festival. So thanks for coming on and having a chat, Karen. Hi. Hi. I would love to kick off with you explaining a little bit about your journey with events, the arts, and how it has brought you to this role in terms of leading the charge with Midsummer.
1: Sure. Um, well, I'm, I consider myself really lucky in that I'm one of those people who I haven't done anything else other than something I love. That great being. <laughs> that being the arts. Um, so, you know, right from I sort of started working when I was still at school at the age of 16 on my own productions. Um, I was also a singer um, and uh, pr- quickly discovered theatre and theatre directing and it really just rolled from there. And generally, again, you know, the something was shining on me because most of the time I didn't apply for jobs. Most of the time it was things would just pop up Mm -hmm. um sometimes things that I wasn't absolutely convinced that were the right thing for me but other people would say no no it isn't usually it would be in an art form that I had no experience in and someone would talk me into it and um but that in the end what that meant was I learned a lot about just about every art form traditional art forms contemporary art forms work for young people work in regional areas in cities touring international product um Creating, uh, you know, uh, local work with independents and big companies, um, artist development, um, and so you know, over the course of about thirty years, I probably worked in most areas, um, but about halfway through my career, I sort of got into venue programming, um, and the beauty of that, and that was at a large venue. We had four venues. Um, is you're programming seven days a week um, across multiple venues, across all art forms and for everybody. So what that makes you do is, um, you know, take off the narrow lens of, of this is what I really like and the only things I want to do mm-hmm. um, and start saying, well, no, I've got to try and make sure that there's, Um, there's arts available for everyone even if that's things that I wouldn't personally like I need to learn to understand it and find the very best of it and that taught me to appreciate I think all artists and all art forms and but also to learn really quickly which people weren't going to art centres and how to go about um, broadening a programming um, uh, to reach out into communities and ensure that you know the the arts weren't about you know de- demystifying them but more than that making them something that was really accessible and for everyone mm. um, I'm a proud um, gay woman I, I came out um, fairly fairly young and and yet I was working mostly I guess in, the mainstream might not be the right word in that because I was doing, you know, all sorts of different work in the arts. But I certainly wasn't working um, specifically as uh, as a lesbian or an LGBTIQ arts worker. Um, and yet, of course, it was my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sort of at the Adelaide Festival Centre, we had four festivals. We didn't when, we, when I started there. We only had one. But the time I left, we had four festivals, which meant... Pretty much most of the time of the year, you're working on some sort of festival. (laughs) I was going to say, that's Um, a busy schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I was headhunted, actually. Um, Someone asked me to apply for the role of CEO at the Adelaide Festival of Arts, which I did. Um, They were moving. I wasn't really necessarily that interested of moving into what I saw as a purely administrative role, but they were moving from a festival that had had this long tradition of being once every two years to... The state government had decided they wanted it to be an annual event, and so it was a bit of a challenge. And, and I thought, okay, well, this is something that I can do for a period of time. Um, and that I guess also solidified my real love of festivals. Mm. Um, in the, the they had the festival, but also uh, Adelaide Writers' Week, um, which um, is such a, an amazing um, and well loved event in itself. Um, and then my partner wanted to move to Melbourne. we were considering that and, and midsummer came up and um, and at that time it probably wasn't something that had been on my radar and I certainly hadn't necessarily thought about specifically working in you know, in a um a festival which was focused on LGBTIQ, but I, I had a number of conversations with the chair and the board, and I was really taken with their vision, mm-hmm. um, which was to completely uh, revitalize Midsummer. It uh, not that it um it had a problem, although it had been around a long time, and I think a lot of those organisations, you know, they've been reliant on mostly volunteer labour. Times change, you know, people don't have the ability to suddenly, you know, to spend 30 30 hours a week on a volunteer thing anymore. And it had been a bit of a revolving door. Um, People were coming and going. It was, um, I remember the chair actually saying, you know, I think there was a couple of things the board wanted and they wanted to be a credible arts organisation. So they wanted to, to, I'll have to be careful when I say they wanted to separate themselves from Mardi Gras because it wasn't in any way about Saying they didn't like Mardi Gras, but it was about saying Australia doesn't need two Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. Mardi yep. Gras is absolutely fabulous, but the the original charter for Midsummer had been to be an arts festival.
0: Um, and, and when did it, it first begin in terms of Midsummer's? Yeah, I guess founding and because it's been going quite a long time, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's about thirty four years now, um, and um, you know, so I mean, it, it is a considerable amount of time and. Um, it, it really just had that, it had got to that time in life where it really needed to be, uh, just really looked at as any organisation of that age mm-hmm. needed to be. It was also what's called an open access festival. So it actually didn't produce anything. It managed Carnival, but it outsourced it to someone else. That's its big opening event. Um, Pride March hadn't, hadn't been an event of, um, uh, this is one difference with Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras started with the March and everything else built around it. Um, Pride March in Victoria was a completely separate organisation. And as often happens with those large-scale events, which, you know, again, times change and permits and traffic closures and things became far far more complex, it could no longer be run by a volunteer group either. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, it had only just, when I joined seven years ago, it had only just become a part of Midsummer. Um, It had always been run during the dates, but it was separate to it. Um, And so one of the things that, you know, I sort of said to the board when they said we want to be a credible arts organisation, we want to change the makeup of our audiences, they felt that they were fairly narrow and and they were, Um, it was a very set age demographic, there wasn't a lot of diversity within our communities represented either from artists or audiences. Um, And they wanted to be financially stable. So I think they were the three things that they said that, you know, they really wanted me to focus on. And I kind of looked at the first two and said, well, if you want to be a credible arts organisation and you want to change the people who are coming, which means you need to change the work in it, you have to have some Mm. role in being able to change what is in it. If it's a passive open access festival, which again, no problem, no reason for that to be a bad thing. A lot of festivals are open access and incredibly successful, but that is very reliant on what is out there. Mm. And if you actually want to make a change and you're saying, well, we've got the same artists performing every year and sometimes the same shows every year for the three or four years and we want to change that, you have to be able to invest in it. Um, and so we really changed the model um, and of Midsummer Festival um, to being Midsummer as a year-round arts organisation, of which the festival will always be the, 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 the jewel in the crown, the, you know, one of the most important yeah. things. But, um, you know, we started a mentorship programme. Um, we started, uh, you know, uh, raising money to be able to commission work and, in, and invest in work. Um, we came across and decided... We did a whole lot of research and said, who actually is coming to Midsummer? And then most importantly, who isn't, mm. who's, you know, who's not coming. And then also that pretty much corresponded with what was missing in the program, whose voices weren't being heard and seen, whose stories weren't being, being told. Um, and then investing in those communities. And pers- first of all, you've got to build relationships with them. Um and because we wanted a lot of that work to be authentic, we wanted to be coming, you know, from those communities, not just being about them. Yeah, of course. Um, and so, you know, we had to build relationships and and trust and then invest in the development, sometimes of the artists before the actual work. So when we started mentorship programs, we, I remember saying to the board, this is not about a mentorship program of nine months is not about creating a work for next year's festival. It's about investing in artists and their voices and their unique stories um, and developing the skills that they want over this nine mm. months.
0: I guess like building a platform together. And, absolutely, yes. you know, uh, allowing more awareness to come out of that so then yeah. more artists yeah. want to be on that platform.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for people who maybe haven't thought of themselves, you know, they're, they're creative but they haven't necessarily thought of themselves as an artist.
0: Mm. Um
1: and because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, no, no, I'm not involved in the arts. But then when you and I don't I don't even go and and then you ask them questions and they read books and they listen to music and they watch television and sometimes they play an instrument or they write or they take the camera out and take photos um, that that are not just happy snaps, but actually really creative and and sort of talking to people about the stories they had to tell um, and then and giving them the tools and obviously working a lot with professional artists, community artists who were already out there who hadn't been engaging with Midsummer. um, And then, you know, realising a lot of these things were going to take quite a considerable amount of time. So, for example, one of the first things that I wanted to do, I'd done a lot of work with disabled and deaf, hearing-impaired neurodiverse artists and audiences in other work that I'd done and mm-hmm. I wanted that to be part of, you know, looking at the, the intersections between LGBTIQ and disability, um, with LGBTIQ and families, because there wasn't a lot of fa- families, particularly with young children, weren't seeing their, they weren't seeing their lived experiences, in, in, you know, presented anywhere. Seniors, mm. where a lot of seniors' communities were saying they no longer felt welcome, at queer events um obviously first nations uh refugees and trying to look at what those experiences were and and where they differed and but collectively what it was to be a member of our diverse communities in our region of the world because so much of what we see still is from the other side of the of the globe um and really trying to say well let's talk about our own stories and our own uniqueness and and the incredible richness and diversity that that is. Um, And then within that learning very quickly that, you know, it's every step opens up, you know, a multitude of different directions. So when I said disability, for example, we started with deaf and hearing impaired, Um, And the work we need to do with that community was very different to the work with sight impaired, um, wheelchair accessibility, um, autism and neurodiverse. So we've worked really hard with a whole range of different communities. But every single one of those strategies has to be
0: um, unique and authentic in itself. Mm. I was going to say, because, you know, when outreaching and taking on such a large like tasks, shall we say, in transforming or evolving Midsummer. I'm sure, yeah, there's just so many intricacies when dealing with so many different types of communities and individuals and cultures. And, you know, everybody has different opinions, even within those um, subgroups, shall we say. So I can imagine it would have been quite a challenge um, in terms of how niched down and detailed your work and your approach would have to be with each of those subgroups.
1: Yeah, and I think it's that thing of being able to really listen and understand that there is no one approach Mm -hmm. um, that works for every community. And that sounds really obvious, but it's much more nuanced than that in that, um, you know, some communities, what they need to feel safe will actually disempower and sometimes not include another part of our community. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you're always... Um, and, and our attitude is always being we're not taking chairs away, we're bringing more people to the table. But it is our responsibility to do that in a in a way that's we spend the time trying to make spaces that are comfortable and safe and authentic for everyone as much as possible. Um, and, you know, that's certainly... Um, you know what I've seen is the growth in audiences, and it has been incredible. Um, you know our um attendances. We had a record of attendances in the twenty twenty three festival, both in terms of our free events and ticketed. Um, Great. And you know it's that's amazing terrific.
0: off the back of COVID as well. Given <laughs> the events industry has been hit very hard post COVID, so that's incredible.
1: Yeah, we'd been on a pretty pretty good um growth. Um, we managed to get the twenty twenty festival over three weeks before COVID hit, and oh, it, up to that nice. point, the 20, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really lucky. Um, the twenty twenty festival for us at that point was the highest attended we'd ever had, and it was mm-hmm. the biggest in scale. Um, so, you know, it felt like we had this incredible momentum and then COVID hit and it, it really, I mean, it took the wind out of everyone's sails, but you know, um, we're not particularly well funded. So a lot of the, what we have, so 6% of our total revenue each year, um, is funded by core grants from the, from Mm -hmm. governments. We have to raise the rest from project grants, but also from, uh, event revenue, from sponsorship and partnerships. That's a lot to raise. And so when you suddenly are in a situation where you don't know if you're going to be able to run an event or not, (laughs) and you are so reliant, like it's not like you can kind of go, oh, well, we'll just go back to our core because our core required the events to happen. So it was really tenuous for a couple of years there we actually managed to do an event every year. I think we were probably one of the only festivals that managed to do a live event every year. We had to keep changing dates. We had to do fairly scaled down things, but we were able to do something. And then by um, back to our usual dates in 22, and then by 23, um, you know, it just was in- incredible. We had um, a, you know, huge increase. I think it was a, a, a 66% growth since when I came on board, when the festival wanted to um, sort of regenerate. Um, yeah, but wow. in, in total, um, just absolute record-breaking um, uh, box office attendances, numbers of events, numbers of people who marched in Pride March. It was just like everything just, you know, it, everything was just, obviously people were coming out and really wanting to engage, but they were coming from all of those different diverse groups.
0: Mm. And I think
1: that's why... Um we've seen the growth, but why also we've seen such an amazing quick pickup again after COVID is you know our um the engagement and the relationships with so many different communities, it becomes something that's really important to them.
0: Mm. Yeah, well I guess they're they're being represented so mm. they feel seen and feel heard and and equally inspired by those that represent them and their groups, but also then equally inspired by other groups and and I'm yeah. sure it and comes that, with its challenges in terms of yeah, groups yeah. meeting and, and uh, yeah. you know, colliding.
1: And it certainly doesn't mean that you get everything right. Um, you know, it's new territory um, when you're working in intersections and bringing pe- different mm. people together. And many people who have um, are triggered um, uh, very easily because of um, past experiences Um, and, and, you know, there are some people, for example, who don't think that workplaces should uh, be involved because they see it as corporatisation, We've tried to look at those things in really different ways and said, I mean, we do have sponsors, but when we have sponsors, it's all it's through their pride networks and it's through the employees in those organisations that are members of our community. Mm -hmm. Because you know, about I think the last research that was done in Victoria showed that half of our communities still feel that they can't be fully out at work, and so you know what what we sort of say is we're trying to let people tell their stories and their pride and get involved from whatever parts of their life is most important to them and for some of them it is about their workplaces and some it's their sporting groups, mm-hmm. um, some it's their families um, um, and it, but it's about finding all of those different diverse ways that people can be part of Midsummer and, um, and have it as something that's not just meaningful for them but actually brings about positive change in their life and hopefully in their extended communities.
0: Yeah, and create that ripple effect.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So currently now, is it a combination of like Midsummer Presents as well as the open access? Is that sort of yes. equal yes. parts and parts?
1: Absolutely. And if we get it right over time, what it means is that if we're investing in the areas and the voices that aren't being heard, as they become stronger and able to self-present, then we can focus on other areas. Mm-hmm. So about 80% of our events each year are open access. They are coming directly from yeah, the great. community. Um, we That doesn't mean that we don't do anything other than put them in a program. We spend a lot of time working with producers and venues and trying to build their audiences, um, not just for three weeks a year, but um, the ultimate goal is that their works can be, you know, that they, they can create um, more and more programming and more opportunities for LGBTQ artists all year out. But there's also social events and sporting events and a whole lot of other things that the community engage in and, and develop around um, our arts program, which, which just makes um, it a, an opportunity for people to really get out and about and completely immerse themselves. Mm. Um, and, um, and then, you know, about that 20% is what we produce commission ourselves. Sometimes that's something that might have arisen from a mentorship. It might be with a partner organisation, um, because we want to see the work of our communities and the stories of our communities, you know, in every type of venue and and opportunity possible.
0: Mm. And I mean, just to provide context for anybody who is not aware of Midsummer, your main kind of uh, summer programming, it's 22 days, if I'm correct. Is that right?
1: It is twenty two. a couple of years it's been twenty three when there's just mm-hmm. happened to be one really amazing event that that's that is on the Friday night before we normally open or something like that. But yeah. But yes, it's usually twenty two days, and and it can be you know up to. 245 different events over that 22 days yeah which is it's it's mammoth
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's like that's the thing I just want to you know people to understand the 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 context and the the size in which you are literally bringing the arts to people like it's it's in mass
1: (laughs) yeah and over 306,000 people came um in those three weeks this year amazing Um, um, and, you know, so it, there's a lot of people out and about and engaging with us, um, which is why we're, we're also, you know, whilst that's what everyone knows us for. And as I started with, it will, we're never going to take that away. That festival is really important. But mm-hmm. we are also trying to, you know, we run an arts award for visual arts. We, in partnership with Homophonic, um, have started a composer's award. We, um, uh, in partnership with a venue, have a playwright's award. Um, now, most of those things do culminate in our festival, but they have things that are happening throughout the year. Um, we have our mentorship programs, which do have outcomes and presentations through the year. So more and more, we're also popping up with different things um, uh, at other times in the year. Um, we're doing a lot. We've started to invest quite a lot in regional areas, um, producing you know, up to 25 events in regional areas a year. So for now, it's really about what are those next opportunities for us that make sure that everybody is touched by and reached by and can have their voices heard within Midsummer.
0: And so is it a constant process for you in terms of speaking to your current audiences and I guess kind of surveying people to understand who is represented, who is maybe needing more representation, where is that support um, required?
1: Yeah, look, we've – right from my first year that I started, um, we started – we actually have engaged every year with an external research company Um, and the beauty of that is it means that, you know – it's not, we don't just tell the story that we want to tell, but we're getting yeah. information, information, um, you know, directly from, and it is through surveys, um, but it can be a whole range of people being interviewed at events. Um, they they A lot of them write to us. Um, <laughs> we talk to a lot of people. In fact, you know, anybody who rings the festival, you know, if they want to talk to me, I always make sure I'm available to do so. Um, and so it gives us a really good opportunity. We also do that with venues, with artists. It gives us that great opportunity to hear from everybody who's involved from their Mm. perspectives, which are always going to be different. And then we also look at that against what if we've said this is missing and we we invest in that area for a couple of years, we need to be able to then say, you know, and be really honest with ourselves. Is that community now engaging with us? Are we getting the work? Are we hearing those stories? Are we getting the attendances from that community? So that it gives us a chance to test out where, where we've identified an issue and we've invested in it are we seeing the results are we seeing the engagement
0: Mm. and so what does the future hold is it just a a, an ongoing process of that review analysis and feed into other places or are the grand ambitions to do other (laughs) things with midsummer always like to get the down low or might what might be in the future
1: yeah, look, our current thing, and it, it sort of has grown organically in that um, particularly with our mentorship programs, but also with a lot of the work that we commissioned for the festival. We're proudly Victorian, but um, there is no other LGBTIQ arts organisation anywhere in Australia or even in the region of the world really of scale. And so, you know, when we started doing the mentorship programs, which were originally um, not, we never said they were exclusively for Victorians, but I guess we assumed that they would be. But we found so many different people who were applying from all over Australia, and particularly when we started Pathways, which is a disability LGBTIQ mentorship program, um, there were applicants from all over Australia. And... um, you know, and then we started having people from Asia and New Zealand and the Pacific mm. Islands contact us, and and so you know we we can't spread ourselves too thin. We're still you know technically a fairly small organisation in terms of the numbers of people that um, that run that run it. But the ambitions are to 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 be that, and we believe we are now already that national organisation. But to be able to 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 grow that and. Um, and have you know those artists come to Victoria and work with with us and with other artists. Um, in a really supportive environment and present. But at the same time, we want all of our artists and, and the Victorian people that we work with also to be able to, do, for us to develop relationships so that that work can tour all around Australia. And mm. um, and hopefully we, we are, you know, we're hoping to develop relationships with other countries within this region so that, you know, when we talk about creating a distinctly... uh you know national voice or a, a queer voice for this region of the world that looks at you know for example at what it is to be first nations and queer um, within australia but also in neighboring countries and yep. and you know what is that unique voice and um, and then how can we ensure that our voices and our stories and our communities um you know, can have the support here and um, a wonderful time for those three weeks a year, support in their capacity building and development all year, but also the support to be able to, if they want, to be presented and share their stories in a broader context.
0: Mm. Well, it, it seems like you're creating an amazing blueprint, which is seemingly working very well in terms of growth and attracting new audiences and helping them to feel represented so yeah it seems like a a, an epic blueprint that you're creating that could hopefully be uh, transferable to other countries um, and be looked at as a model to use whether that is under a midsummer umbrella or it's a a different umbrella I don't know but um, you're clearly doing something great here and the communities are responding positively to it. So it would be amazing to see elsewhere.
1: It is a joy to, uh, you know, I actually um, clicked over my seventh year at Midsummer yesterday on the 26th of July. Oh, amazing. And, um, but of course, those seven years, um, three of the, more than three of those were actually COVID impacted. Um, And so it feels like that's gone really quickly because, you know, it was like we're on this incredible trajectory and then it was just about survival and then it was about Mm. rebuilding. Um, so it feels like we've only, in some ways, not only just begun, but only just got to that point where the potential really is opening up. Um, but we're seeing, you know, that that increase in trans and gender, uh, gender diverse representation, um, culturally diverse people of colour. We've had the most amazing engagement with refugees. And, and in fact, there that's one of those things early when you talked about having to, to, to adapt to to what you can offer one of the things that we started off always saying was we don't speak on behalf of our communities they're diverse we um we create a platform for our diverse communities to have their voice Mm. and then we did some work with a, a couple of different um groups of artists from different refugee backgrounds who had come from communities where their their lives were in danger. But they had families still, you know, in those countries. And so they were saying, well, no, we can't be identified and we can't stand up and talk at the beginning of our exhibition or our show, um, yeah, right. you know. And so it was that thing of having to be able to go, okay, it it doesn't naturally feel good to me to stand and speak on behalf of an artist. I'd rather encourage them to. But in those circumstances, you find a way to honour that and represent them in a way that is safe for them. Mm. Um and you know, all of those learnings, it is a place where every day I think myself and every member of the Midsummer team feel like we learn every day. Um, you know, so uh, in the last festival, over 35% of our audiences identified as disabled, neurodiverse, deaf, or hearing impaired. Um, and that's taken time and trust, but also a lot of learnings for us um, because true access engagement with those communities is not about whether a wheelchair can fit in the door Mm. um, or whether you have an Auslan interpreter you know and and everything that you do um, there is always something that someone says ah but if you'd done this it would have been easier for us and so every year we learn a new way of doing things Um, you know different ways of empowering communities so that they can lead their own programming and tell us which stories then which artists they want to be heard within their communities. Um, And so, you know, it is about um, trust both ways. We want people to trust us, but we also have to be able to trust those communities to be empowered to take control of of elements of the program and, and own them.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm curious, what are some of the, obviously learning is a wonderful gift in dealing with so many different communities, but what have been some of the highlights or the things that you love the most about your job or memories that you'll never forget?
1: Oh, look, it, it does vary. Um, there are certainly certain things that have stood out to me um, and, and some of them have been a lot about those intersections. Um, mm-hmm. One uh, was a young Sudanese poet um, who came to mind and, and um, you know, and speaking to him um, through the work that we were doing with, uh, that, uh, with uh, the group that was putting together a, a, a group of works and, and his own writing and performing them. Um, and he talked about that difficult difficulty of, you know, coming from a community where he hadn't felt accepted but he also didn't want to lose... He wanted to be a proud leader and a proud masculine leader within the Sudanese community here in Victoria Um, And he was having to try and himself reconcile being out and gay and not wanting to lose the ability to be able to be um, uh, that that proud masculine leader in his community that he wanted to be. And a lot of these things are ongoing journeys. They're not resolved, Mm. you know, quickly. But to be part of of those conversations and part of those journeys, another thing that came to mind was one of the early um, panel discussions that we did around... uh, uh, transgender and um very quickly um I was facilitating we had a a range of panels and there was this woman who was sobbing almost from the beginning at the the front of the audience um and you know you're not quite sure you know what to do or how to reach out but over the course of the of the panel um uh, this woman was able to 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 feel comfortable to tell us um that she was a parent. and her and her husband had been really struggling to try and they wanted to support their child but they didn't know where to turn and they, you know, rang all the traditional um, services and, you know, support Mm. structures and government they said, you know, either you're on a waiting list or you get through to one that actually doesn't know how to deal with this particular issue and they felt like they didn't know where to turn and somebody had mentioned that Midsummer had this forum like the day before and they had just turned up hoping... Um, and on one side, that there's that incredible responsibility that you hold there to look after someone, and you haven't necessarily got the answers, but we had a parent on the panel. Mm. Um, and so... Again whilst there's no right way, there was an immediate connection and you could see that lifeline and that ongoing connection and there the are groups of, of us parents that you can connect with um, that conversation that was happening immediately and there's just those those occasions where and they happen every day you know um, it might be during the festival, but sometimes it's uh, another one was um, we did a dance work. Um, where we were learning a little bit more about audio description, which is, um, you know, working for uh, blind and and sight-impaired audiences. And we had a a, a choreographer and a performer who really wanted to engage this program. And it was a work that had audience participation. And so together, the artist and the group, that we the the audio describing company we worked with, actually came up with this incredibly deep, program that wasn't just put your headsets on and we're going to tell you what the what the dancers are wearing and what the set looks like and all those things are important. But they actually came up with this thing where, you know, the if someone registered to come to the event and said, you know, I, I am blind or I'm sight impaired, they would get information beforehand. Again, that's not that uncommon, but they had the ability if they wanted to come early And to be shown in a very safe way, shown the dance moves so that when there was that, um, so, you know, being guided through with their body through what those dance moves were so that um, both when they were hearing about it, they had a sense of what it felt like, but also when it came to the bit that was audience participation, they actually could do it. Mm
0: -hmm. And they wrote
1: this letter to us afterwards about how meaningful that had been for them. Um, particularly an art form that they had never thought they would actually really have the, ing- the ability to really engage with and understand um, yeah, and, and what that meant to them. And those little things that you can't completely plan for and you don't go into expecting someone to say, you've just changed my life. But when you get something where someone says, this is what it meant for me, um, this changed my life in this way, it all makes sense and you know why you do it.
0: Mm. Those are incredibly impactful and touching stories where, yeah, it's, it, it can be life-changing for someone. And I think that's a resonance that plays out for almost everyone who works in events. It's the joy yes. of knowing that you make a difference. And that difference can be joy and... Um, you know, freedom or that could be for somebody, you know, like experiencing something that they never anticipated that they'd be able to or feeling safe or feeling seen or feeling part of a community when maybe they felt isolated before. And it is one of the, you know, just beauties of events and festivals and bringing people together and creating this sense of community when we we do live in quite a disparate world, probably more so yeah. now than ever before. But it's important to make sure that we we have these opportunities to come come together to celebrate, to congregate, and experience different types of art and creativity.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, um, I mean, as communities, whatever um, community we come from, we all have understood the importance of gathering. Mm. When that since that was taken away through the COVID years, particularly yeah. us in Victoria, where, you know, you, but, but, but everywhere there was restrictions on the ability to where you could go, who you could be with and how many people you could be with. Um, and for LGBTIQ communities, a lot of the journey, um, and again, everyone's journey is different, it's unique. So I'm not trying to in any way sort of lump everyone in one basket. But in varying ways, for most of us, it has been about having, you know, creating, you know, we've at some point experienced that feeling of isolation from whether it's school, peers, workmates, family. Um, and the journey is about finding our own constructed families and communities. Mm-hmm. And so, and often so much of that comes from venues and events. Yep. And so the, 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 double whammy for LGBTIQ communities when that was taken away was extreme. Um, and, um, and so, you know, we which was why we worked so hard to find ways to still do live events, still do things online as well, but not go, uh, let's make everything digital. We just mm. still find ways to bring people together in safe ways and then as we've been able to over the last, you know, two years, start rolling back out to those mass gatherings um in ways that people do feel safe um where you know it it is about celebrating what that gathering means to us um mm. because personal connection is well it's really vital to everybody but i think our communities have certainly really uh acknowledged deeply within what it means to us
0: mm yeah yeah, I mean it's a fundamental human core need, isn't it? Yeah, really. Yeah. It is. <laughs> but yeah. we forget about we. Well, sometimes it can be forgotten about. Given how long you've obviously been with Midsummer, and um, I love that it was your uh, anniversary yesterday. <laughs> um, have there been any key trends or changes that you've noticed in that time um, with the event or with culture and the groups and the, and society as a whole that you've found quite interesting or prominent? Beyond COVID, <laughs>
1: um, look, I think you know. Certainly, um, for us, a big part of it was seeing the the spread and involvement of so many different communities. Where it wasn't just midsummer that was missing that. I mean, there was actually a research project that came out, I think, only a couple of weeks ago, just about the arts that still said that most arts organisations, and this, this, I think that this is a bit extreme because I know most arts organisations worked really hard to, to diversify the audiences. But what it was saying is that the arts are still quite a long way behind, um, you know, not being just middle aged and white. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, with the work that we've done, is you know, we've we've just seen and and. A lot of the different communities and cultures that we work with, it's not saying that they're suddenly doing art. They were doing it anyway. Um, and a lot of them were actually, you know, uh, much more engaged in cultural activity, way beyond maybe the rest of us. But um, but the interconnectedness and the, the breadth of the way everybody started engaging together, certainly is a trend that I was seeing pre-COVID and then post-COVID, I guess one of the downsides, and there always is some, is that, you know, the industry and the venues are still really suffering from COVID. Yeah. Uh, most of us, the financial impact, you know, it's it's something that's going to be around for 10, 20 years. Um, and, uh, and you know, if if, many, if any of us had money in the bank, a lot of it was wiped out, <laughs> just trying to survive. And, um, you know, and a lot of the independent artists that used to necessarily m- maybe being presented by some of the major institutions and other organisations, when those organisations have had to pull right back in terms of what they've been able to do, there has been, there was and still is, less funding available from councils and venues. And so I have seen a lot less um, independent artists having investment and support from other groups. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that that's something that um, that is short-lived as, as we all, you know... Um, grow in strength post-COVID um because the you know it's it's meant that um you know there's been a lot more people coming to us needing our help too you, you mentioned earlier about how many people are doing open access the, there's been a lot more people who would normally have presented in open access with the support of a venue and maybe a council coming to us saying well that's not there anymore
0: yeah. um
1: and um you know and it is so important that we we still have the independent sector and and because a lot of those people are parts of marginalized small communities that you know they're not working full-time for a theater company or a dance company um and but their stories are rich and unique and important um and finding ways to ensure that you know those those people because we do believe people should you know that they they should be being you know getting remunerated for the work that they do and um, trying to find ways to to not only have people be helped to have their voices held and and um promoted, but you know to do so in a way that also, um, you know helps them pay their bills. Yeah, um, of course. So you know, for example, when we talk about um box office, so the box office for last festival um which was over one point two million dollars, um and it was a um. It's a ninety-five, almost ninety-six percent increase since the twenty seventeen festival. Um, all of that pretty much goes directly into the hands of artists and venues. Mm. You know, not to midsummer. Amazing. And and those things is really important because it means that what we can, what we're trying to do is stimulate, and create platforms. But but seeing the benefits of that going directly into, into the hands of the people who, essentially, make the stories and
0: the work absolutely incredible work that you're doing is there anything that you would like to see more of obviously more attendance is always great and more funding um but yeah if you could call out to audiences and say you know this is how you could help communities or what we could be doing better within the arts community is there anything specific for you yeah
1: Probably a variety of things. If someone's already someone who identifies as going to the arts, um, I'd love to say to them, you know, take a risk, go and see, you know, yes, you you know, there's probably the same artists and the same things that you go and see most of the year. Um, take a risk and go see something that you wouldn't necessarily see because um, yeah, or hear or listen to or, vi- or uh, you know, in terms of visual arts, you're going to, to view um, because often it's, it's those things that you wouldn't necessarily do that bring the greatest um, exploration and journey um, and you're supporting new people and new voices, um, uh, I'd love to see, I guess, as a nation, us um, understand and celebrate the importance of culture more. I think mm. still as a um, – and I love my sport. I, I'm very much someone who, you know, loves going. I don't participate in the sport a great deal, but um, my body doesn't stand up to that anymore. But um, <laughs> I love going to, the, to sport. But I do think as a nation we've still got a long way to go to really embrace um, and I guess uh, open up the term art as, as not something narrow and something um, that's, you know, about high culture but something that's actually inherently important to everyone's lives and this thing that will be, you know, remembered by. It's, um, you know, I often talk about the importance of stories and that's what art is. Art mm. is about stories that um, you know it's it's the way we remember our past. it's the way it's the keeper of our history. Yeah. Um, it's the way that we celebrate our present and question, but it's the way we make changes for the future. And culture, you know the arts and culture, that has been true of communities um, and cultures for millennia all over the globe. And I'd love to see more people feel like it's for them to engage in and that their own stories are just as important to be heard and to be captured and shared um, and and to listen to other people and and to truly... Um, And I think that that's part of that sort of also branching out and that interconnectedness of difference Mm. and diversity where, you know, we don't need to fully understand and we don't need, you know, one of the things I often say is nothing's black and white or right and wrong because a lot of our communities do have very different needs and and often will disagree about things. And that's okay because that's what makes a really rich, um, uh, ultimately rich community collectively. Mm. And, you know, I think that the The work in arts and culture and festivals and is is a way for more people, you know each year, each decade, each generation, to come to understand and appreciate um the richness of other people.
0: Mm, fully aligned with that it's it's a a beautiful tapestry of life that we have, and everyone brings these different colors and. And through that merging, and like you say, it doesn't mean everything is always aligned. There's, there's the black, there's the white, and there's a heck of a lot of grey.
1: Um, absolutely.
0: But that grey can be really beautiful colour that we can all yes. kind of celebrate yes. and embrace and enjoy if we have empathy and understanding and openness to other people's stories, insights and expressions. Yeah, Absolutely hmm I'm curious uh I am conscious of time but um given you started out obviously very immersed in the arts world do you are you always behind the scenes now or do you find yourself uh telling stories and creating and and being more on the front side of things if ever
1: yeah, look, I mean, it's an interesting question because I started out as a performer and then a theatre director, but very much still seeing myself as an artist, um, um, and and then even in when I sort of went into arts administration, it was always from a programming perspective. It was always curating, working with artists, creating work. So I still saw myself very much as a creative, mm-hmm. um, and, and then but I but I wasn't on stage myself. Um, and then when I came to Midsummer, to be truthful, those first you know pre-COVID years, what Midsummer needed from me was somebody who could focus on, you know, the vision and bringing the stakeholders and literally bringing in the money in the door so that we didn't have to close the door, mm-hmm. which we came close to many times. Um, and you know, so it it probably meant that I wasn't really being as creative myself. I was being strategic. <laughs> um,
0: but <laughs> doing the been... job that you were hired to do and needed and it was a big job.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's been the last few years as we came out of COVID, um, I'm a practising photographer. Um, I've been spending a lot more time also within, I guess, the creative side of my role um, mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, working with artists to, you know, t- to dream big and. Um, uh, I don't see myself suddenly becoming a performer again as such, but um, I love it. Um, but it's it's important, I guess, to for us all to be able to feed different aspects of our soul, isn't it?
0: Mm, mm, love that. So in terms of if somebody wanted to support Midsummer, get involved, how could they participate? Apply to be a part of what's happening next year. Where yeah. can they find you and connect?
1: Uh, well, like so many places, probably the website is the first place to get some information on us. Um, just, you know, put Midsummer or Midsummer Festival into any search engine and we're going to pop up. Um, but there are many ways people can get involved. So, you know, there are people who are patrons, um, who are donors to the festival and support us. But as patrons, they also become part of our family. And I take them on a little bit of a behind the scenes journey, particularly in the lead- leading up to and throughout the whole festival. Um, um so that they feel a little bit um you know they're they're inside the tent and they get a bit of a you know that bes- behind the scenes perspective mm. um obviously performers um audiences we have event registrations at the moment so people who have um events that they uh, would like to uh, to present um can register an event they can ring us up and talk to us about it um we have some uh people who've got events but haven't got venues we've got Venues that don't have events, so sometimes you know our role there is to play matchmaker and bring people together. Be a little tender. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and but then you know there are uh, there are people who will give it, give me a call or send me an email and say you know I have uh, I'm just starting out a pride network in my workplace. How can Midsummer help? Um, or um, you know, and I mean, you will get the thumb that's just say that it's want sort to of sponsor, but but more often than not now it comes from an employer who says. Mm-hmm. I I want to make change in my workplace, and I want to get us involved in Midsummer, and how can we do that? Um, Obviously, during the festival itself, we launch our program in late November. So for audiences, they'll be able to hear about all the amazing events at that point. And, And I always say to people, it's a bit like choosing your own adventure, completely immerse yourself over those 22 days, because every single, the difference between seeing work in a festival and seeing that maybe that same event, you might see five or 10 works over a year, which is still really good to do. But when you see them over a short period of time, and, you know, you've been to see a show by a different part of our community the day before, and you're going to see an exhibition the next morning and another show the next night. And the conversation and the way that you look at all of those is different. And it's richer, because you have context, you have this, this story that each part becomes a bigger part of, because they, even if those artists don't know each other and the work is about t- different things, somehow they interconnect and they tell a broader story for you. And so I always sort of say to people, you don't need sleep over those 22 days. Just completely immerse yourself <laughs> and see as much as you can, particularly at the moment when there's been so many independent artists whose livelihood was taken away for a number mm. of years and who have been struggling to, to get back into it. Um, and, um, you know, as a, as a country, I think, and a community, we really want to see those stories being told and heard long into the future.
0: Mm. I feel like people could almost use it as a summer advent calendar of art. So just go to to one thing every day. (laughs) Absolutely. I know I do. (laughs) Usually three or four or five every day, but but that's a different story. (laughs) Absolutely love it. Amazing. Well, yeah, thank you for obviously doing what you're doing. And there's an incredible amount of people and communities who I am sure are eternally grateful for. You bringing and making art more accessible and more diverse um, for them as individuals and for communities. And thank you so much for finding the time to come and chat and, yeah, allow people to learn more about Midsummer and the vast amount of shows and uh events that you are putting on in victoria and hopefully yeah we will just see that continue to expand across australia and who knows maybe even further
1: thank you very much i really enjoyed chatting with you
0: amazing well that's a wrap excellent thanks for tuning into creative connectors hopefully you enjoyed the chat if so, please subscribe, share with friends, support the community and tune into the next one.